Hey, welcome in Big Sky Breakdown. You can always find the Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Skyline Sports, every day, every season, giving you the most comprehensive coverage of Big Sky Conference athletics, whether it's the Bobcats, the Grizzlies, or all the rest of the teams in the Big Sky Conference. We got you covered, Skyline Sports. It's our second edition of what has become now our midweek analysis podcast. Just going to hear from a couple different analysts each and every week here on the Big Sky Breakdown. And we'll also have a secondary podcast later in the week as well with our interviews, but this one also does have one original interview within it. We get things started off with that original interview. An interesting guy, George Tarlis. He's a junior defensive in from Weber State. Wildcats, number 19 team in the country, host the number 9th ranked Montana State Bobcats on Friday night in Ogden, Utah. An ESPNU game under the lights there at Stewart Stadium. Tarlis, a beast on the field. He's got 14 career sacks, even though he has been playing behind some really good players. But now it's his defensive line. It's his group to lead, his group to stand out on. No more McKay Murphy or Jonah Williams or Adam Rodriguez. It's Tarlis' show now for sure. He was a third-team All-League guy back in 2019, even though he wasn't even a starter. His first game off the bench when he was filling in for Adam Rodriguez when Rodriguez hurt his ankle, Tarlis had three, maybe even four sacks. He was the Big Sky Defensive Player of the Week, his very first start. But he's a fascinating guy because he went to high school in Idaho, but he grew up in Greece, and he didn't even move to America till he was 16. And as you'll hear, he had no idea what football even was. So interesting catching up with him on both a personal level and to preview this game against Montana State. We'll also hear, of course, Brooks Nuana, SkylineSportsMT.com, co-founder, creative director. We only had about half an hour to catch up today, so we only got through our midseason evaluation of the Bobcats. We'll give you some more on the Grizzlies next week because they're actually a game behind because they've already taken their bye. And then, of course, we'll hear from Ty Gregorak, longtime assistant in the Big Sky Conference, coach at Montana for a long time, coach at Montana State for a handful of years, and now helping out with us on the Big Sky Breakdown, so he gave you all his thoughts about uh, Montana, Montana State, and the rest of the Big Sky Conference. Big Sky Breakdown is brought to you in part by Alpine Touch, in part by Blackfoot Communications. Appreciate Blackfoot for supporting all of our podcasting endeavors, from Grizz Greats to Catching Up with the Cats to the Big Sky Breakdown to the Nuanez Now podcast and everything in between. Couldn't do what we do here at Skyline without Blackfoot Communications. And also Alpine Touch, they're sponsoring an awesome giveaway on my daily radio show, Nuanez Now. Here's the broad parameters of the giveaway. We're giving away a Traeger Grill, a bunch of Alpine Touch, and a beef box from Haymaker Beef. We also have another prize that includes a grill, an otter box, and a cooler from Twisted Tea. To enter into this contest, here's your steps. Subscribe to the Big Sky Breakdown podcast. Subscribe to the Nuanas Now podcast. Subscribe to the Nuanas Now YouTube channel. Then head on over and on Instagram and Facebook, go ahead and follow ESPN Missoula, Haymaker Beef, and Alpine Touch. Once you've done all that, text us 888-1029. That's 888-1029. And that will get you entered. Just say, hey, I did all this stuff. And then we will pick a winner November 20th before the Bobcat Grizzly rivalry game in Missoula. Without further ado, the Big Sky Breakdown, get things kicked off with George Tarlis, defensive end from Weaver State. George, we'll just start with the most broad of broad questions. You guys haven't played the Bobcats in a little while. It's been since 2018 since you played MSU. So what are your initial thoughts on this matchup against Montana State? Uh, definitely a lot of film preparation. <laughs> like you say, we haven't played them in a while, so we got to watch a lot of film and break them down so we can get used to what they like to do. Very interesting to think of just the dynamics of these two teams because two definitely are the most physical teams in the league. And I know the last time there was a matchup in 2018, it was a physical game. Uh, but both these teams like to win in similar fashions. You know, run the ball, play defense, execute on special teams, all that sort of stuff. But when you know that the other team is going to bring it physically, when they're going to be sort of going to match you from that standpoint, how does that impact the way that you consider the game or the way that you would prepare for the game mentally? Uh, in a mental aspect you definitely prepare that you're going to war you're not just gonna go to a game and be a lot of pass and go tackle the quarterback you know what I mean you have to be disciplined with your gaps and be as physical as you can and have good footwork and all of that together but mentally we're preparing that we're going to war it's not just going to be any of the game to win let's talk about the start for Weber State because you guys have played one of the toughest, if not the toughest, schedules in the country. Already played two top 10 FCS teams as well as Utah as well. And so sitting here at 2-3, and three, uh, but comes with a little bit of a caveat because you have played such a tough schedule. So what have you thought of just the start for your team so far? Uh, there's definitely things that we can improve on, and those games kind of rung the bell for us, and we saw early what we need to work on. And I feel like we've been getting better at practice too, and there's that confidence of, 
you know, you mess up once and then you learn how to fix it and then you mess up on something else and then you learn how to fix that. So it's little things we can fix. That's the good part. And the other good part is that it happened early in the season and we have the opportunity to take on and be better. Well, that's one of the best parts about this level is when you lose, it's not, first of all, it's not really an if, it's a, almost a win because no one's going to really go undefeated because the Big Sky Conference is so tough and this FCS level is so tough. But uh, how you respond after you lose seems to be the key to uh, almost every team's season. So do you guys consider that? I mean, how do you feel right now with the three losses? Do you feel like you guys have some pressure on you to continue to win out if you want to make a playoff run? Or how are you guys approaching this just because it, you, you guys still have a lot out in front of you as a team? Right, there's definitely a lot of pressure. I mean, our team goals are higher than two and three, but um, that just forces us to be more locked in. And like I said, there's things that we can fix, and it's not like something like the other team was just better than us, you know what I mean? So it's something we can work on as a whole team and get better, and two and three is not going to do it. So I feel like it's putting pressure on everybody to just be better, shop early, watch film, and just have a better week. What do you think of just the way that the dynamic of Weber State has changed? You're now an older guy on the team, and I know you had a lot of great guys both in the defensive line room but also just in the locker room as well. But what's different about this Weber team? What do you think sort of defines you guys as a group? Uh, I want to say our chemistry as a whole team has changed a little bit more because we we had a big class. My class was, I feel like it was one of the biggest ones, and everybody's more getting along together with everybody else on and off the field and you know when we step on the field we feel like a family we trust each other we don't we're not worried about if they're going to mess up or whatever you trust each other and it's just a a different feeling as far as that as far as offensive defense and special teams i feel like doing a better job focusing on our weapons and taking advantage of what we could do the best George Tarlis joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown SkylineSportsMT.com Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Alpine Touch George, let's talk a little bit about your story. Uh, you were originally born in Greece, right? So when did you first move to America? I uh, first moved to America when I was uh, 16 years old, and I did my junior year and my senior year in Idaho. So did you have any uh, any comprehension of what football was before you came to America? No, I didn't, actually. I thought they were talking about soccer, <laughs> and I, did, <laughs> I didn't even know it was seasonal with the sports in high school and so I was just trying to play basketball but football was first and I was thinking okay I can stay in shape and practice and then play the game and then be ready for the basketball season but yeah what did you first think of the game of football when you first started playing it? Because, I mean, for those that have had it in their lives forever, it, it doesn't. it's still a very complicated sport, but it, it probably was just such a weird experience to, to experience playing the sport for the first time when you never really experienced it at all. Yeah, so me being a basketball player, it kind of was really surprising when you can just hit people and not get an offensive foul or, you know what I mean, a, a foul with your body. So I love that part where you can just hit people and not get in trouble. But... Just from the sport, the coaches made it simple because I had no really huge IQ about football. So they just told me, if the guy steps down, you go down with him. If he steps out, don't let him reach you. And simple things like that. I think that's interesting, too, that you didn't have much background in it. I guess, would you say that you've accelerated rapidly? I mean, it seems like you've gotten pretty good at the sport, even though you've only played it for a couple of years. Yes, that's definitely the case. Because, you know, me wanting to play professional basketball coming from Greece, I was put, I was willing to put in the work and get better at what I do. So football was the case. So I decided to put in all my commitment and time every day to learn more about the sport. And it's just every game I play and every practice I play, I, I get that feeling of, oh my God, I need to practice more. I love this feeling. Of, like I'm learning, I'm learning. And it just, it's accelerating pretty fast. Do you think your basketball background helped you as well? Oh, definitely. Just filling the space and being able to drop in coverage while I play defensive end and just filling everything, kind of making calculated risks. I feel like that's one of the most important ones. And when you were first getting recruited uh, from your high school in Idaho, what sold you on Weber State and what have you thought of just sort of uh, coming of age as a football player there in Ogden? Uh, so Weber State came to me and I looked him up because honestly, coming from Greece, I didn't know where Weber was at all. And it looked like a solid tool, and I loved it. When I came here on my visit and everything, everything was really good. And I figured, okay, it's a full-ride scholarship. I need to take advantage of it and try to go for my next goal, which was play professionally. 
What's been the most challenging part about chasing that goal? I mean, I obviously playing defensive end, it takes a lot of toughness. It also takes a lot of hard work to get physically strong enough and big enough to play that spot as well. But for you, what's been the most challenging part? Being patient, uh, not not trying to do too many things. Because like I said earlier from basketball, I've, I have this secret skill in my head where I can just see things and I like to peek and it just, I have to be a little more patient, a little more poised in the middle of the play, be able to make the right decision without, you know, making a mistake. How much do you think just the coaching staff there at Weber State has helped you with that? I mean, it seems like Jay Hill is a phenomenal defensive-minded coach, and you've had some great position coaches as well. So uh, how much has that helped just your acclimation to the game? A lot. Like, at this point of my level where I'm here, I've been here for four years, we don't necessarily talk so much about technique. We talk about the little things like that, being patient on the line of scrimmage or, you know, not, not blowing your gaps to do something else. And it's, they're really good with that, definitely. We'll finish up with you with this then, George, on Friday night. First of all, what do you think of the opportunity of playing on ESPN on Friday night? That's probably pretty cool for you and your teammates. It is. It is pretty cool, and I'm excited for it. I can't wait. And last thing for you then, what will be the key? I mean, what, what do you expect the game to be like? How do you expect it to play out against Montana State? What will be the key if Weaver State is to get a big victory over a top-10 team? Well, like we said, it's going to be a physical war, and we just have to go punch them in the mouth. You're always going to have a plan, but you're going to get punched in the mouth, and you just have to adjust to it and keep going. So it's going to come down to who's going to be the toughest. Well, I love stories that are uh, outside of the box. I love unorthodox stories like yours, and that's awesome. So thanks so much for sharing your story with us today, George. We appreciate it, and best of luck on Friday. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, fiber deployments, and community events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com news. Yo, 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 Big Sky Breakdown. Coulter Nuanas, SkylineSportsMT.com, joined by Brooks Nuanas, co-founder and the creative director of SkylineSportsMT.com. Uh, and Brooks, something I've been asking everybody because I find it fascinating no matter what the answer is, before we get into some Big Sky Conference talks, some Bobcats, some Grizzlies, everything in between, did you have any sort of gauge on the heavyweight championship fight on Saturday night between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder? Did you care? I know you probably didn't order it pretty late for dad life, but uh, was there any interest for you? Or is this something you anticipated at all? Hell yeah. I love it, man. I wish that boxing was relevant. I wish rather... Let me rephrase, rephrase. I wish heavyweight boxing was relevant, and these two guys made it relevant. You know, these guys. Uh, I, I'm a huge Fury fan. Um, Deontay Wilder, I think, is you know a tremendous, one of the better athletes of his generation, um, especially in the heavyweight division. You know, he's very memorable, which is such a big part of the boxing legacy. Um, I had money on Fury in a bunch of different ways. Uh, only one, one of those ways. You know, I thought it would, it wouldn't last as long as it did. Wilder's hung in there, man. I don't really know how. I don't know how you... And they traded blows. I mean, Fury went down as well. So I don't really know how you could hang in there. But Tyson Fury, I mean, gosh, what a beast. He's so big. It's crazy. I had mentioned to you, I listened to a, a podcast interview with Brian Rossillo and Tyson Fury, which is one of the most outrageous things I've ever heard in my entire life. If you haven't listened to it, it doesn't matter about the fight. You need to go back and listen to it. Absolute outrageous Tyson Fury is... A psychopath. I mean, that in a good way and a very weird way. Um, yes, I had interest. I thought it was awesome. I did not order it. I was busy doing some work stuff. But um, yes, it, I thought it was. I hope. I'm sad that 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 uh, that combo is going to probably be done. You know, that they'll both those guys will likely never fight again. Fury maybe while they're likely not. Um, so yeah, it's uh, the end of a pretty good he- heavyweight legacy. I just find Fury. So fascinating because he's like a character right out of the movie Snatch. And he's so compelling. And he's a star, but he's not nearly as big a star as 
I wish he was. And it seems like he has all the elements to be that. He's sort of an everyman as well as a strange man all at once. Like he's, he's, he could be somebody that you know, but also definitely isn't because of his legend and just where he came from. And he's the gypsy king and his weird antics. Then he wins the fight by knockout and he grabs the mic and starts singing Walking in Memphis by Mark Kahn. And it's just like the best version of it. It's just fascinating. And I, I guess that I was, I am, I've been asking everybody just to see their interest. Obviously, you and I are brothers, and we grew up in a house where our dad really liked this sort of stuff, combat sports, and we talked about it and learned about it and all that stuff. But, uh, I mean, like on Saturday night, I called around to a whole bunch of establishments and asked them if they had the fight, and it wasn't even that they said no. They didn't even know what fight it was, and I think it's just so weird. I get why. I get the why, but I also just think it's so weird that it has remained because, as Andrew Houghton said on Nuana's Now yesterday, when done properly, boxing still is the greatest spectacle that sports has. More than the Super Bowl, more than the World Series, more than everything, and that fight on Saturday was an absolute spectacle. It was the most my expectations have been exceeded by a sporting event in a long time it was unbelievable it was such a cool thing to watch and uh i guess it's just i think it's really interesting that people have gravitated so much toward violent sports like mma and football but gravitated away from boxing yeah i'm not surprised by it a lot of it's just the promotion aspect it takes such a a a level of intense and, and and very precise marketing to get this all done and um, as you mentioned, Tyson Fury isn't very, quote-unquote, famous for a reason. I mean, he lives in a town of, like, 4,000 people. Uh, he, like, he, you talk about being an everyman. Like, he literally is not anywhere in the in the scope of, like, prominent famous people in any way, shape, or form for a reason. That's just kind of his choice. And, you know, boxing also, I think a, a, a big part of it that's, that's challenging is if you lose – not in a title fight, you know, if you end up losing at some point in your career on the way to try to chase titles, um, it's kind of over. Like, your career is just relatively over. I mean, like, you have a chance to maybe lose once or twice. So some of the guys that we see, like, coming up, like Anthony Joshua, who, if you've ever seen him, I mean, it's like a mix of Miles Garrett and, and John Jones or something. I mean, just like the mo- one of the most beautiful physical specimens you could ever see. Well, he got his ass kicked one a fight about a year and a half ago against a much lesser opponent. And and his whole legacy is just now ruined. And it's like, that's the hard part of boxing. And then now Anthony Joshua, I won't pay for an Anthony Joshua fight because it's almost irrelevant in the, in the, in the historical realms of all, the, all of it. So I think that's a big portion of it. Also the marketing dollars and the promotion companies in Vegas and who they're making money from ticket-wise. And, um, the consumer kind of defines what is popular and what is not. Uh, so boxing has definitely changed. The knockouts, the, the, the ferocious brain injuries aren't quite the same as they are in the NFL and, and, and the UFC, which is, for better or worse, kind of what people are drawn to. I have a question for you, Colter, and you're, you're not prepared for this, but where does Tyson Fury uh, kind of fall in the historical realms of heavyweight boxing? Well, I think that he's one of the greatest ever, and this is the reason I think this, though, is because Deontay Wilder didn't get enough publicity for when he was doing what he was doing. Deontay Wilder ran through the heavyweight division and the pundits, the haters, they could say it was a weak division. It was a non-united division but he ran through the division like no one since probably Lennox Lewis and maybe even Mike Tyson. Wilder had 40 knockouts in his first 42 fights and he was undefeated before he ever fought Tyson Fury. And Tyson Fury beat him two times, including knocking him out on Saturday. So, Fury... Usually to be considered one of the all-time greatest heavyweights, you need to have multiple rivals in which you dominate. Sometimes, though, it even adds to your legend if you don't fully dominate your rival. Muhammad Ali lost to Joe Frazier. He lost to George Foreman and then came back and beat those guys, and that's what accentuated his legend. I mean, to me, still hard to say that it's not. I think that the greatest heavyweight of all time is Muhammad Ali. I think the second greatest heavyweight of all time is Mike Tyson. Then I think you probably have to go with a couple of the older guys just because of the place and time and how prominent boxing was at that time. Probably Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano have to be in that discussion. Uh, But then I think it's right there. I, I mean, you'd have a hard time convincing me that when you really put it all on paper that Lennox Lewis or Evander Holyfield or 
you know, a variety of other guys had a better career than than uh, than Tyson Fury. I, I think that the circumstance in the world of boxing, with all the various divisions, and the fact that the Klitschko brothers didn't let the title be united for so long, and then uh, the fact that Anthony Joshua is supposed to be that second rival for Tyson Fury, and he, like you said, he got busted up before he got to that absolute top level. So uh, we'll see how it all plays out. I think Fury's going to fight for a while more. He made it seem like he was going to in his post-fight interview, and uh, if when he does i really hope that people promote him because uh, he is quite a character so big sky breakdown presented in part by blackfoot communications thanks to blackfoot for helping us with all of our podcasting endeavors uh, all right brooks let's talk uh first with the bobcats you were at the game in bozeman homecoming saturday another beautiful saturday and another rinse and repeat for the bobcats i'm not saying it's boring i just think it's unbelievable how consistent it is we were watching the wilder uh fury fight on saturday and our good buddy darren said uh he got the score he said i swear it's 45 to 7 in bozeman every weekend it seems like it has been but uh just another whooping by the bobcats what'd you think of the game saturday against cal poly yeah, man, it's, um, I've mentioned this before. I think that, that COVID and, and the, the year and a half off, if you will, really has, has changed the dynamic in the environment of college football, but especially in the FCS. I think that the, the teams that have and the teams that have not, uh, per se, are, are more separate than they've been in a while. I don't think it'll last for all forever. But right now, that's the case. And Montana State uh, had, you know, 65 better players than Cal Poly. It was, it was pretty impressive. I mean, I guess I'll, I'll be able to speak much more of the last three, four, even five weeks after this week, um, after we get to gauge where Montana State is against um, a, an opponent with similar talent or, you know, a like opponent, a nationally relevant opponent uh, in Weber State. Montana State came out. I talked to Coach Vegan extensively about how, how to prepare for multiple quarterbacks, how to prepare for a team that has traditionally run the, the triple option for the better part of 25 years um, into, you know, a spread downfield passing game and Capoli came out and ran the triple option which which was a little underwhelming as far as uh, the game plan goes you're you're definitely not going to beat Montana State if you try to run the ball 47 times you know maybe North Dakota State can do it maybe Weber State can do it the Capoli could not do it on Saturday that's for sure they completed six passes um the backup the, the second quarterback who came in who is the the, the running quarterback uh, I think only completed four passes you know at times he literally had his pants at his ankles. I mean, like he was getting destroyed. Whether it was at the mesh point of the quote-unquote uh, zone read, it wasn't necessarily a triple option. It was more of just a zone read look uh, with a running back quarterback run game, and Montana State swarmed. And there was a couple gash plays here and there. Um, it seems at times, and it's not in a bad way, I don't fault them for it. I actually think it's probably smart if they're, if they're doing it on purpose. But Montana State seems to really take their, their foot off the gas. Um, not as much defensively, defensively as they do offensively. But I have watched, and again, these guys are giving a lot of effort, and they're dominating, don't get me wrong, but I've watched Taylor Tuiasasopo and Lewis Kidd and Zach Redd play offensive line for the better part of the last four full years. I've known those guys for half of a decade and watched them progress and watch their talent, watch them play as freshmen, watch them dominate in their semifinal run last year so, or two years ago. So I have seen these guys play, and I can just tell that it's not full go. You know, it, it's 80% here, it's 94%, and it's 72%. You know, they're not absolutely flat out getting after it. Uh, I, again, I think that would be smart if it's on purpose. If it's not on purpose, then I think there's a little bit to worry about. Um, you know, not that I don't think they can turn it on, but I, I hope that as they get into more of the meat of their schedule, you'll, you'll start to see some of those flashes of real true, you know, sticking those uh, – put your horns in there and go head to head and really start to dominate a little bit more. But Cal Poly was undermanned and, and Montana State took care of business. Notion of what it takes to inspire a team or how a team becomes inspired or the level that you can take your team to is a very interesting dynamic because uh, I think that the personality of Montanans and people that follow the Bobcats and the Grizzlies, we think of it in the old school sort of romanticized way of what Jeff Choate was and what Bobby Houck is. But North Dakota State's never had Jeff Choate as their head coach. They've only had Craig Bull and Chris Kleiman, who are, to me, very similar to Brent Vegan in personality and execution and things like that. And 
The only other real parallel we've seen in that in the big sky outside of that Missouri Valley tree, outside of that North Dakota State bubble, is sort of Jay Hill. And I know that Jay Hill is a, a, an inspirational coach to a certain extent, but he's also steady and uh, likes to execute with discipline. And that's why Weber State has won four straight conference titles. So I'm so interested because I've heard so much of a narrative around this game Friday night in Ogden about Montana State at Weber State. Can Began get the boys up? Can Began inspire us to win a big game like Jeff Choate? And I think that that's a little bit short-sighted because I do think Choate was great in that situation, but Choate also, if you're being truly objective, won how many big games? Four against the Grizz. That's it. I, I mean, you could say the playoff wins are big because of the just the hierarchy of the program at that moment or whatever, but you should definitely beat Incarnate Word and Austin P and Albany on your home field in the playoffs that, in December. I mean, point blank period if you want to be montana state you want to be a nationally elite program those are those are good wins but they're not enormous wins but i guess what i'm saying is that maybe if there even if there is this missing link of taking it to the top level with this bloodlust like choate used to rock with just because that's not the same it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not effective i I guess i'm just so curious to see we're gonna get this on display on friday uh, to see what montana state what level they can get to maybe it doesn't take a guy that is so fiery and uh hot like choke maybe maybe you can maybe that's not even a part of the game anymore i don't really know i guess it was friday night's gonna be something that shows us that though Oh, it's a part of the game, man. You want to take your ass to the South and go watch Georgia play, or you, you want to go watch, uh, you know, some of these programs that are absolutely dominant on a national level. I mean, <laughs> they get after it. There's some yelling going on. No, for sure. Um, but that's the thing is, like, the Bobcats play with so much swagger on defense, and they play so hard without having a choke being the front face of it. You know what I mean? They're letting the players do it. I think that's why you haven't seen much dip in the performance. In fact, you've seen no dip, especially on the defensive side of the ball. No, I totally agree with you. I, I was just making a comment on, the fact that uh, the quote-unquote bloodlust is out of the game, I do not think that that is true. Um, I do think that the players can run a program, especially one with hierarchy like Montana State. I do agree with you. The quote-unquote Jeff Choate uh, mentality and process and execution is a lot different than what Brett Vegan is, and I do not think it's, nece- it's necessary to have that. I do think that Coach Vegan is uh, phenomenal in-game. I've told some folks close to the program that it's been interesting to watch someone just completely get out of the way during a game. You don't really even like feel Coach Vegan during a game or, or, or even before or after. He kind of lets the reins go to a lot of his assistants. I'm sure he has amazing influence on it, but he sure doesn't lead on to that, as well as his players. And there, there isn't uh, any mismanagement of timeouts or game situation. Or you know, every now and then they've given up a couple touchdowns before halftime, two in particular. Um, that were a little bit of uh, maybe some miscommunication on what, what what the effort level or what the game plan was going to be or what was needed in that moment, um, but they're still housing teams. So I, I agree with you. I think that the steadiness is, is, is on full display. And um, for a program that has so many smart guys like Montana State, you know, I think it's a little bit of a cliche, but also it's a, there's a lot of truth in the fact that, you know, these guys are you know, the better portion of the team is engineering majors and, and, and all sorts of STEM-based education guys and guys that are here for, for the, the school and the education as much as they are for the football program. Um, when you have that many smart guys and you have some senior leadership and the transfers that they brought in have worked out, you know, it's a stroke of luck, but also part of the culture and the structure that they have in place. I think that you can do what, he, what, what Coach Vegan is doing and implementing. So I don't think you do it everywhere. I think that it's probably the perfect situation and kind of um, what we've talked about before. We'll have to see how that steadiness relies or works four or five years down the line when you know, the entire team is, is a bunch of guys that, you know, and leadership structure that he has to develop rather than uh, something that he steps into. So overall, the steadiness is working. Yeah, I was thinking with this the other day. This is definitely a, a spicy hot take because it's only been six games of the Brent Vegan era. But I was thinking about just the fit of coaches at places, particularly the last two coaches at Montana State. There's a narrative out there that Jeff Choate was the perfect fit for Montana State. I think he's the perfect fit for the romanticized version of what Montana State wants to... How do you say this? Actually, what's the perfect fit in terms of the complexion of the university and the type of kid you're going to consistently get? Brent Vegan is a better fit at Montana State than Jeff Choate, but Jeff Choate is what Montana State people have always hoped that they could become, and that's why he was such a uh, he's such an alpha because he just gave them way more lead in their pencil, uh, and he gave the fan base and it's everybody involved with the program so much more swag. It's like Danny Sprinkle said. It's like when you walk around the the playground. And the, the baddest ass kid on your is your best friend, and you can walk around anywhere. You can do anything, and that's what Choate 
gave the Bobcats. Uh, but also, I think that Vegan, in terms of just his steadiness and all that, I think it's actually a better fit long-term for Montana State. But that said, it's a perfect situation right now because he inherited a team with Choate's swagger, but he has been giving them a way more steady hand, which I think is actually benefiting them in certain ways. I think it's an upgrade in terms of in-game coaching and things like that, but they already had the previous culture like you're mes- mentioning. So I think it's this, it's this fascinating dichotomy because there's a, there's a lot here, and it really does. It comes down to what you just said. It comes down to what sort of guys did they bring in what sort of swagger talent uh, do those guys have as this roster becomes Brent Vegan that's a long ways down the road we're only halfway through its first season but I do think it's an interesting comparison it certainly is man I don't think that you can you know not mention how thus far again this is a small sample size for a first-time head coach and and in a season where they have been heavily favored for five straight weeks um you cannot understate how impressed I personally am with the coaching hires uh, I think that Freddie Banks and Taylor House right have been lights out. I think lights out. I'm so imp- I'm so impressed with them. So damn impressive, man. The defensive scheme is is freaking impressive. It is legit. I I love what they have done with the with the personnel they have. Um, I love the scheme. Even though it can leave a little bit be, to be desired for a guy like Troy Anderson, he's still dominant. I mean, he's he's you know shooting gaps and, and getting multiple TFLs in a quarter. I mean, it's like, it's something that we've become accustomed to. It looks different than a 70-yard t- uh, rushing touchdown, but it still is effective and dominant. And, and guys like Ty Okada, you know, I mean, going to have potential, depending on the staff, it's always so weird with a team like Montana State. You asked me the other day, like, do you have any great pictures of Jeffrey Manning? I said, I have some, but not great ones because the ball carrier has been exploded by the time it gets to Jeffrey Manning. Same thing with happened under Chope. Braden Conkle ends up with 30 tackles, you know, because, like, the guy doesn't even make it past the line of scrimmage. Regardless, they put guys in positions to succeed, and then offensively, while it has been diverse, it's also consistent and steady, and there's been some really nice plays. I love their shot plays. I love their involvement of Lance McCutcheon. The idea to be able to see a player like that, his development, to, to let him take the next step by giving him the opportunities in, in a position and a, in a style that he can succeed in, that's coaching. You know, that's, that's management. That's taking someone and, and using their best abilities to make your organization better. Something that Choate struggled with offensively, at least his programs, was they found the ways to get Isaiah and Fonte the ball. You know, were Travis Johnson and Kevin Cassis used correctly? Probably by the end, but it took years to figure it out, whereas this staff came in and figured out how to use Lance McCutcheon in three months. And look at him. I mean, he might be a first-team all-league player. He's dominant. But those kind of things have been impressive. I think the coaching staff has been awesome. Some of those guys, I think they're all happy. I've heard that across the board consistently from some sources inside say, you know what the best part is? We walk around the offices, these guys are happy. So it's a good entry point toward then what it is the midseason, and uh, I want to do a, a, just a little bit of a midseason review just across the board for where Montana State's at. So I guess we'll start with the defense as a whole because I think if you broke the defense down in terms of levels of the defense, there's not much delineation because I think they've been excellent across the board. Uh, we were talking about this last night. I think they even get undersold as a defensive unit from 2019 and this year combined because it's not just that they're dominant, but they hardly ever have to struggle, and so they don't have to like come up with this huge play on a third and 10 that's a game changer because so often it's just boom 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 three and out like it's 90 second three and outs like half the time sometimes teams get a little bit of a sustained drive against them but I mean Montana State they gave up 5.7 points per game down the stretch uh, in their six game winning streak until the semifinals in 2019 and that's if you take out a couple of the big plays like the long pass against Albany or the kick return by the Grizz some of the like actual defensive touchdowns that they gave up they're giving up less than a touchdown a game and this year they're hovering right around 9-10 points a game. So they're just stonewalling people. And the, the fact that they get off the field so fast, it's been incredibly impressive. And the defensive unit, as good as I thought they were going to be, I was skeptical in the scheme change. And the scheme change has been phenomenal. It's been uh, it's accentuated the talents of every guy on their defense across the board except for one, which I find fascinating because he is actually their best player in Troy Anderson. He's still good, but the scheme is not put, making him even better where the scheme is making guys across the board better. So, I mean, just your overall evaluation of the Bobcat defense so far. It's one of the better defenses I've seen in a long time. I mean, I love um, what they do on all three levels. They're not getting after the quarterback um, in the same fashion as they have in the last, you know, 10 years. I think back on Brad Daly's, Caleb Strybice's of the world, Zach Venter, Bryce Stirk recently, I think, had ended the season with 15 and a half sacks. I, I don't think that they'll end up with those kind of numbers, depending on the, what they do in the playoffs and all that. Daniel Hardy getting, getting after the quarterback on the edge and getting some, some pressure up the middle. It looks to me a whole lot like quarterback hurries than anything. You mentioned, um, you know, Troy Anderson maybe not being accentuated as much as some positions he could play in a defense. He's still dominating. I mean, he still has 
games where he's had 12 tackles in the first half and doesn't play in the second half. Um, Amandre Williams, another guy that isn't putting up the same kind of statistical numbers. They move him on the inside. I mean, he's playing, you know, defensive tackle on third downs, um, where usually he's a pass rushing off the edge, and that's all to give opportunities to Brody Greedy. Um, so there are a lot of impressive young guys um, on this defense, and, and you know, I really think that the secondary has been the key to it. You know, you think of Ty Okada playing the big nickel, the two transfers, and Jeffrey Manning and Trey Webb. Um, all three of those players are, are elite players in this league, um, and they make it open field tackles. They're making calls and checks and, and, and running deep, you know, not allowing a, a whole lot of, of, of passing over the middle, especially as we saw this week against, this last week against Cal Poly. You complete a, you know, a deep crosser, a 15-yard pass across the middle, and Jeff Manning lights you up. That ball comes out, and that ball is then intercepted by Tyrell Thomas. Uh, that is the kind of play that I think that they will seek and, and, and take advantage of um, any time that's presented with them. So defensively, you know, I've seen the Grizz play live a couple times, and uh, the rest of the league is probably, you know, not on the same level. Maybe Weaver is. It, it, we'll see this weekend. Um, but you know, outside Cats and Grizz, these two, yeah, the Cats definitely have one of the best defenses in the league. Well, that's the thing. That's where I want to take this uh, for as we finish up here on on the Big Sky Breakdown. Is that first of all, even though we take tremendous pride in being objective and observing all this stuff, and and we really dissect all of this as uh, intimately and uh, as detailed as, as anybody around, it still is easy to get wrapped up in the hype of what you're seeing and how good it actually is. That said, uh, like when I wa- even when I was watching the Grizz and their really impressive first two games against Washington and then at home against Western Illinois, you could see all these strengths, but you could still see a couple different places where maybe the Grizz were vulnerable, and those places were taken advantage of by Eastern Washington. I know the Cats, no team is without vulnerability. The most fascinating part of the Cats to me so far this year is that they have shown no vulnerability yet, and you can say overmatched opponents and all that, but every team, especially in the salary cap league that is the FCS, has a weakness, and I don't know what Montana State's systematic fundamental weakness is. It used to always be the quarterback position, and now now they have a least functional if not good quarterback and with the way the quarterbacks are going in the big sky with how many guys are hurt right now Matt McKay could be one of the best quarterbacks in the league not only because he's good but also because everybody else is all banged up and so uh but then the emergence of Lance McCutcheon gives them a, a, a much more significant threat on the perimeter the, the tight ends have been much more involved the offensive line maybe hasn't been as good as you thought it was going to be but still one of the best units in the conference and they're still rushing they're still leading the league in rushing and then defensively it, it's one two three levels everybody's been good in the secondary has been outstanding which was a question mark coming into the year so I guess the question is at the midpoint of the season what is the vulnerability what is the weakness of this Bobcat team or what where is a place where other teams could attack them do they have one interesting question man I'm thinking I'm racking my brain right now I mean they played some seriously lesser opponents in the last handful of weeks so it's it's really hard because, like you said, you get caught up in the moment of game by game, possession by possession. When there's dominance happening, it's hard to see a hole in it, you know. Um, I think Nolan Askelson getting hurt as the backup for Mike and Will, for Troy Anderson and um, Callahan O'Reilly. I think that does put – you know, I really love what we call him Danny U. His last name was hard for me to, to say. I haven't learned it yet. But Danny U, number 30, came in uh, two weeks ago and played really damn well. And had some big tackles and looked awesome. Alex Johnson, a kid from Helena, you know, 6'3", rangy, came in 200 pounds, played up to 215 pounds. I loved what he was doing in camp. Both those guys are probably not elite players yet. And both those guys aren't national-level players. And they're going to need a breather. You know, both those inside linebackers have to rotate at times um, here and there, not necessarily Trey Anderson. But you get what I'm saying. There's a little bit of lack of depth at linebacker, just a touch. Again, I'm, I'm sorting apples and oranges here. I mean, it's, uh, it's hard to say that that's a weakness. You know, two young guys who are developing or who look like good players. But, um, you know, I haven't been overly impressed with the young offensive linemen. I think that might be another another piece of the pie there. I think, again, for young guys, they're playing really damn well. Um, but for what the expectation of the Lewis kid and Taylor Tuyasa Sopos of the world are, um, Justice Perkins and TJ Sessions have both played well, but not, you know, at a very elite level yet. So, yeah, I mean, and I talked to Coach Vegan about the specialists, you know, freshmen across the board, freshman snapper, freshman kicker, freshman punter. Um, they've all played well, but they've played well with big leads. You know, they've played well in that kick that they end up missing, that 46-yard field goal that they miss doesn't really matter because you're up by 30. Um, so some of those things, um, if I had to, I, I would probably lean on some of the younger guys. I, you got to think that they'll continue to develop. 
Um, and that, that's a part of uh, kind of the assumptions you take into the, take into football. There's two of them, that guys continue to develop and that coaches make smart decisions. Those things, if you assume them, it's really easy to balance out and, and make uh, forecast what games and seasons look like. But those things aren't always true. Coaches don't always make good decisions. And young guys don't always get better. So that being said, that would be kind of what I'd lean on is some of those younger guys at this point in the season. I mean, as you were saying that, I, I thought of three for Montana State. One, we have no idea how they're going to react when they get punched in the face. I th- think that good. I, I, Wyoming was a test for sure, but one that you had almost two years to prepare for and one that you were intimately familiar with from a coaching perspective. Make no mistake, Jay Hill's going to make it ugly on Friday night in Weber. Th- that's what they do. Jay Hill wants to win 17-13 worse than anybody in the league, and that includes Bobby Houck. And that's, says, that's saying something amazing. So how do they react to that? Also, though, the coaching staff, I mean, Montana State's only real uh, flat performance this year was in the first part of the game against Portland State. Part of that's the weird venue. That's another factor is how does Montana State react when they're playing in weird places that they've never been before? I mean, the Cats, you, Brooks, you've been doing this with me for seven years now. The Cats have never won in Ogden since you have been doing this with me. So that in itself is just how do you debuck the the ghosts of the past? And then the last thing I think is when you do have unbelievable uh, an, un- an unbelievable number of headlining players, national level players, if those guys start to go down, the fall off is inevitable. Bobby Houck at Montana runs this system where very few guys are stars. So even if you do lose your guys that are getting a lot of the headlines, most of the time the way that the team is structured, the backup is not going to be uh, that unexperienced or that uh, much of a drop-off. Whereas at Montana State, it's impossible to not have a drop-off if Chase Benson was out of the lineup or if Troy Anderson is out of the lineup or if Ty Okada or Jeffrey Manning are out of the lineup. So I do think that those are some projected, but uh, still no affirmed ones yet. I think that's a testament to the organization as a whole and just the the work Montana State's gotten done so far uh, in the Brent Vegan era. Yeah, and there's some hard places to play in the Big Sky, man. I think it's really underrated. I think Ogden's a really hard place to play. I mean, the crowd is variable. It could be big. It could be small. Um, it's elevation, and it's cold, and the, the the setting is beautiful, but it's just different. I mean, it's just a way different environment. There is an open-air feel to it, you know, um, where you're kind of surrounded. You're, you're you're in a little nest at Montana State or in, in Washington and in Missoula. But you saw UC Davis go to Pocatello, Idaho. I think it's a really hard place to play. There might be 2,000 fans. There might be 6,000 fans. They pipe in noise. They make it weird. The light is crazy. The dome is awkward. All that shit is weird. And look, UC Davis, one nationally ranked top 15 team in the country, goes down to Pocatello, who we think Idaho State is one of the you know the bottom bottom end teams in this league this year, and they lose that game. So there is some hard places to play. Um, I don't think that could be understated. Brett Vegan was really interesting and really candid about um, his experience with night games and his experience with Friday night games in the Mountain West and how how much experience he did have. How he just instantly rolled out his game game week script and how comfortable he felt within that. I thought that was really interesting. That's Shows some experience at a higher level, some experience in some you know some regional places that that do things a little differently. Uh, they play on national TV on Friday nights in the Mountain West. He said he had one every single year. Um, he also had night kickoff games all the time, so he was used to that kind of stuff. We'll see how that plays out. I do agree. Jay Hill's gonna junk it up, and best believe Montana State, as Coach Beacon men- uh, mentioned has played Wyoming, and they got a good front seven defensively. But he would argue, and I think many would, that Weber State is just as good, if not better. Montana State, for the first time this year, will likely get punched in the mouth. Um, you know, the teams of the past, the last three or four years, would feast off that. They would love when they get punched in the mouth to actually make it into a fight. Um, we'll see if Montana State can take that same mentality into this weekend. Brooks Nuana's Big Sky Breakdown. Maybe we'll get some thoughts on the Grizz a little later on. But uh, as of right now, i got to ring out. But appreciate the time, my man, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. I love the league schedule, man. We're into the heat of it. Uh, cold winter night in Ogden, Utah on a Friday night. Sign me up. I'm there. Alpine Touch is legendary around the state of Montana for providing delicious seasonings for every grilling occasion. Now, Alpine Touch offers so much more, from a savory new barbecue sauce to spicy pepper blends to tasty barbecue rubs. In addition to the classic, Alpine Touch has a variety of seasoning salts for whatever you need to spice up. Now that the holidays are over, Alpine Touch makes a perfect thank you gift to show your friends and relatives you love them. Alpine Touch, available at retail locations around Montana or online at alpinetouch.com. Alpine Touch, Montana's special spice.
Hey, the Big Shot Breakdown time, Coulter Nuanez. As always, you can find this podcast, SkylineSportsMT.com. Big Shot Breakdown presented in part by Alpine Touch and in part by Blackfoot Communications. Appreciate both those awesome sponsors for helping us bring you the Big Sky Breakdown each week. We're going to have a whole bunch of different versions of the Big Sky Breakdown each week. If you're paying attention and keeping up, we'll always have the press conferences for both Montana and Montana State each Monday. Then an analysis press conference midweek with myself. The man who joins me now, Ty Gregorak, as well as Brooks Nuanez, Andrew Houghton, all our Skyline Sports guys, breaking down all the things across the state of Montana as well as uh, across the Big Sky Conference as well. And Coach Ty, I know you were uh, sitting in the stands on a beautiful Bozeman Saturday and uh, just seemed like the same game on repeat. It's 45-7 to every time the Cats play at home, I feel like, at this point. No question. It is, uh, we're, we're halfway through the season and I can't, I can't honestly tell you how good they are or not yet. I mean, obviously they're rolling people at home. But, you know, like we talked last week, their home schedule is, is just laid out perfectly for them in ter- terms of uh, who they've got in Bozeman this year. But, yeah, it actually turned out to be a really nice day, which was kind of crazy the night before. It was really, really crummy, and uh, Jacks had an 8 o'clock flag football game, and it was cold and dark, and, and then it just got nicer and nicer, and the, the uh, sun came out, and it turned out to be a great day. I mean, I, not taking anything away from Montana State, they look good. Their defense looks good. They're opportunistic. They made some great plays. Great seeing Callahan O'Reilly get the pick six, and, and Ty Okada made some fantastic plays. Troy made some, you know, their defense is playing really well. Offensively, they are too. I mean, shoot, Lance, Lance had some fantastic catches. Isaiah had some great runs. I mean, they're doing what they're supposed to do against these these outfits at home, you know. And, and so I think that even though Weber State's a little wounded right now, and and I mean, this this is kind of a make or break game for Weber coming up on Friday because. They they drop them. I mean, they're out. They're they're, they're for sure out, which would be crazy after you know four years of of really almost dominant conference play. Um, but you know, it, it, Montana State has not traveled to Ogden very well lately. Uh, it's a tough trip. You know, they 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 refuse to fly and charter this trip. So I mean, unless that's changed since I've been gone, it's a bus trip. You know, so they're leaving. This would be a, this would be a quick turnaround, Coulter. Re- really short week for them. So, and like I said, I mean, Weaver's still Weaver. It's going to be physical, pound the rock, try to play some good defense. It's going to be a night game, sitting around all day, long bus trip. Uh, I think this is a very interesting game for both teams because Montana State, they go down to Weaver and win, very much in the driver's seat to you know to turn in the last half of October. And then, like I said too, if we you know if Weaver if Weaver loses one more, they're they're for sure out of the conversation. So excited for the, for the Friday night game. Well, one thing uh, in observing so much of your coaching career that you were so good at was instilling confidence uh, in, in your players. And I think that's an important thing when you're talking about dealing with, with college-age guys. Uh, but I want to ask you about this, the balancing act between being ultimately confident, having momentum, uh, but also not being tested. Because it seems like Montana State has both right now. They have seemed ultimately confident. They're operating at a very efficient level. They're taking care of business. You can only play who's on your schedule. And when it's 42 to nothing in the third quarter and you pull all the starters, every week you can't really beat somebody worse than that uh, but on the other hand not a lot of big tests for uh, Montana State since the Wyoming game so how do you balance those two things maybe how confident the Cats are feeling right now but but not much stiff competition since their opener obviously I don't think you ever want to look far in the past but the bottom line is they have not fared well at Weber State for a long time I mean I, I can't I, I you maybe know the answer uh, after going to a couple of press conferences I don't I can't recall the last time Montana State went to Weber and won so I guess, yeah, the balancing act of, you know, the, the coaches this week is, okay, guys, doing a lot of great things, all right, but let's call a spade a spade. We have beat Cal Poly. We have beat some, you know, uh, we've beat some, some, some very UNC, some teams that, that aren't good football teams. I mean, and you don't want to, you don't want to talk disrespectfully about a, an opponent, but they're not very good. That's just a fact. So I think you just say, hey, listen, we, we've done a lot of great things uh, up to this point. Now we're going to go play the four-time defending conference champ. Um, and, I mean, I, to me, it's a, it's a fantastic challenge and test for these guys. I, I know they should be feeling confident, but, you know, the, like we've talked every week, a lot of veteran players on that team, a lot of, lot of guys that have never won down at Weber State. So, to me, they've got a lot to play for this week. I mean, they've got everything to play for this week. But um, I guess if, for me, I'm tell, if, I'm, if I'm looking at the defense, if I'm looking at my linebackers, we're, we're, we've done all the right things, you know, minus we came up a little bit short down, down in, uh, in Laramie. But, you know, could just call a spade a spade. We haven't, we haven't, our goals, we haven't accomplished our goals yet. We've still got everything to play for. 
And it starts by, by going and, and taking out the, the four-time defending champ. Because if you do that, they're out, period. I mean, they're, they're out of the conversation. I'm going through the scores here because now that you think about it, I, I have uh, covered the Bobcats now. I think this is season number 11, and I believe maybe the last time that they won at Weber State, uh, I think it was Denarius McGee's senior year. Yeah, 34-16. It was when Denarius had just came back from an injury after he got hurt in that season opener. And uh, But yeah, they didn't play him in 2015 and uh, lost in 2017 at Weber and uh, didn't play again in 2019. So what a league. Uh, <laughs> you don't always get to go to so, Weber. So- they don't always get to come to Bozeman. So, so are you saying? So, what year was that though? Was that 2013? So it's been eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Well, I mean, so yes. What you what you were just alluding to is yeah. How dumb is that? That we it's so we dumb. Don't get to play each other. It's it's awful. I mean, I, I'll never. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I mean, I got half a brain. How they decided to, you know, what was the regional game? That they would always play and not it's just it's it, they either they either need to you know start trimming the fat in this league or you know uh, they, they gotta they should be playing in my mind they should play each other every year every other year at the latest not not three four years about playing each other really stupid to me well, that, that's exactly right. And when the league was first expanded in 2012, not to go completely down a rabbit hole, but they were under the impression they were going to expand to 13 in hopes of getting to 16 and then have two divisions. But that was always going to be futile because conference championship games at the FCS level are stupid because then you have one of your two best teams from a league getting a loss right before a playoff. That's why no league has a conference championship game. So uh, this was all under the impression of maybe uh, having two divisions. But if there was two divisions, then it would be uneven no matter which way you splice it because North-South. East West, all the best teams in the Big Sky, the traditional powers are all within three to six hours of each other. So everything else is just fringe, anyways. I, I don't know. I think I think you know, especially now that we're you know another decade has gone by and we've already started to see some conference shifting again with Oklahoma and Texas going to SEC. There might be a lot of stuff on the table, right, Coulter? I mean, uh, Southern Utah has already announced they're out, right? I mean, so then you said. In, Kind of like we were talking last week, you know, what does Northern Colorado do? What value do they really bring to this conference? I mean, I, I you know, in our household, I mean, it's all football and volleyball, and you know, Candace has told me their 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 other sports do show pretty well at times. They're, they're, they have really good years and, and good athletic programs, but football is just they'll they'll never be able to turn the corner. Southern Utah's already gone. The California schools, you know, with with just the the level of academia that, that is going at, at Cal Poly and UC Davis, and and then obviously you've got the largest, I think it is the largest university in the Big Sky at Sac State. I I just think. I think there probably should be some conversations on the table here over the next couple of years as to what the future of the Big Sky looks like. We're going to have them, too, because I think that the other misperception is that football programs make all sorts of money. Only a few football programs in the Big Sky make money, and that money is used to subsidize all the other sports. It just makes it so it's a self-sufficient business rather than a subsidized business, basically. Whereas schools like Northern Arizona, they don't draw anybody to games, hardly at all, but they get a massive uh, tuition uh, boost, or I guess a an activity fee that their students pay, and they have 30,000 students, so they fund it via state and or institutional money. I think that's the business model that many people don't understand. We digress, though. Tag Greg Rack joining us here yeah. uh, on the Big Sky Breakdown. Um, what did you like about what you saw for the Cats on Saturday, Ty? Because I know that their defense is flying around and they're forcing turnovers. They have to be leading the country in takeaways. I actually should have looked that up because they have been forcing turnovers like it's going out of style. And again, of course, uh, overmatched opponents. But Montana State looks pretty fast and mean on defense. No, they do. They, they, you know, like I said, I, I, I use the term opportunistic. They, they, they've been doing a great job of getting takeaways. I like listening to their boys. Man, I listen to the press conference and, uh, you know, listen to Callahan uh, speak Saturday just about taking the football away and stopping the run. I actually was a little surprised uh, at, at how many rush yards they ended up giving up to, you know, obviously a non-triple option Cal Poly, but um, you know, you could see as the game just started wearing on. I mean, shoot, they they had such a massive lead at half that I, I don't think they I don't think they put the brakes on or, or pulled pulled the dogs off a little bit. But I mean, you could just see it was tail of two halves, run the ball, take take as much you know time off the clock as possible, and and get on to what, what already like we said already is going to be a short week. So I mean, they they, they listen to this point. Other other than falling a little short to you know, a Mountain West team to start the season, they, they've done everything they've been, you know, that they, they should do. I mean, I, I, I've been nothing but impressed, really. You know, the weak, the weak spots, I don't know. I mean, you know, how, how good 
is Chad, some of these, some of these things are just, there's still some unknowns. And I think there, that some of these unknowns will be answered when they go play a really good defense, or at least traditionally been a good defense in Weaver State, just a different atmosphere on the road at night. Um, I, 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 even, even if you look at Weber's record, watch out. I mean, they are still a very, very well coached and got good players they, that running backs. Like I think that running back's been there for seven or eight years now, it seems like. So, um, but no, uh, uh, observations a month and a half into the, into the Bobcat season, they're, they're good. They're talented. They're veteran, uh, and they're playing really good football right now. Big test this week. Absolutely is. And uh, I mean, last question for you on not just specifically the cast, but just a, a conceptual part of football. It seems so simple in premise to just put your best players in a position to do what they do best. Yet that seems to elude so many football teams. I think that the teams that do that the most effectively, whether it's the New England Patriots or Alabama or North Dakota State, obviously the latter two have significantly higher talent than a lot of people, but they still do such a good job of putting their best players in positions to succeed. To me, that's the number one thing that this coaching staff of Montana State's done. They've just put the dudes that they got and they just ride those dudes until they are comfortable with the lead that they have. But it seems like they're putting their best guys in a spot to thrive. They they are and just seeing the evolution of, of guys that we've been talking about you know what they're doing with Lance uh, you know essentially as as a number one or you know that number one wide receiver um, playing the Z spot there at the end I mean he is a mismatch I mean he is all of six three six four he's long he's 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 doing a great job running then you mix in Willie P and you look at what Willie P's uh, skill set is there in the slot and and doing some stuff in the return game and. Um, you know, their, their rotation at running back right now. And then, and then, yeah, defensively, I mean, I think you and I were both a little bit skeptical of, of putting Troy Anderson in the middle there, but Troy is also one of their best football players slash we know he's their best athlete. He's going to succeed uh, wherever he is, you know, whether, whether it's in, at the outside spot and in the nickel packages, um, doing some defensive line stuff, at least what he used to. It looks like there's, you know, he's basically standing up all the time now, but it's saying, okay, the, the, this is who we've got. Uh, this is where they fit best, and then let them go do their thing. It's it's been a joy to watch. I mean, number seven, we we talked about Ty Okada, you know, at length. Former walk-on, who's now you know very much a team leader. He he plays and does some stuff in the nickel position, their safety position, and um, he's emerged as one of their better defensive players, even though he was a you know former walk-on. So what you're saying is exactly right. Just just uh, they, they really have for a for a new staff coming together, and obviously you've got some holdover in Brian Armstrong and. Um, guys like Kyle Reisinger and, and um, I know the running back coach and the receiver coach uh, were here, just weren't able to coach, so to speak. Um, or maybe that's not true with the running back coach. But, you know, just have, having those guys that, that kind of helped the transition uh, by staying on staff, I think is always, it's always, it can be a challenging thing. But I do think it is a good thing where they can be like, hey, coach, you know, we've been watching this kid for three years and mat drills and winter condo and spring ball and this is what he does best. So I think I think for Coach Vegan to have those you know those guys that, that uh, he kept on staff to you know to, to have helped over the last year and a half year uh, to now has been big, and you can see it on the field. I mean they, they're they're playing at a very high level. Well, the game in Missoula, I'll be as frank as I possibly can. It was the most bored I've been at a football game in my entire life going to games in Missoula, and uh, there's a lot of factors that went into that. But before I give you my take, Ty, uh, I know you were at the Bobcat game. I know you probably caught up on the Grizz game. Just sort of weird to step out of conference play to finish your non-conference schedule against a transitioning D1 that you're supposed to beat. I mean, what was your takeaway from just the dynamic of Saturday's game, let alone the result? Yeah, a couple things. They did They did beat them. You know, now, now I know... I know better than most what what the expectations are over there, and so yeah. Listen, I I've got the game on on my phone, and I'm watching it at the Bobcat game. Right, and after two or three people said, "Hey, what game are you watching?" and I'm like, "I'm watching the Grizz game," and then having them look at me like I'm, you know, I finally said, "Okay, just mind your own business." Uh, so yeah, for it was it three nothing at half. Is that right? Three, yeah, three nothing at half after getting stuffed on a fake field goal right before halftime. The field goal would have made it six nothing. One. You got another quarterback coming in and really seeing his first action at length, uh, right, over the course of an entire game since high school, since he was at both Bozeman High. Um, obviously, the defense the defense played what what I've read. Again, I, I tried to watch as much on my phone. Sounds like the defense played very well. Uh, no gave up a score, uh, a couple scores there in the second half, but um, – uh, that that game had a lot of that, – that's an interesting type game, especially after a massive game on national TV against the number one team in the conference right now, so that's, you know, first, second, or third best team in the country. Um, 
I, I think, listen, they did what they had to do. They won the game and, and, and they ended up winning by multiple scores. Uh, is there some cause for concern when it's three, nothing at half over Dixie state? Sure. But I mean, I guess the, the, you could also say, well, the defense had a shutout in the first half and, and, and did a lot of great things in the second half. And, and from what I've read, it sounds like coach, you know, coach Rosenbaugh did a really good job, you know, saying, okay, camp, camp, you know, camp's skill set and what he can do with this. And then, you know, the, the, the Brown kid, this is what he can do. And so this is what we're going to do against Dixie. So again, without, without getting to watch every play, um, you know, they, they, they won. That, that's the bottom line. They lost a very, you know, tough, late game to a great opponent. opponent. They came back. I mean, hey, Coulter, if people, people are going to talk about all the things that they should have done better against Dixie. Uh, you know, and, and I don't know if you've asked it or what, what time did the, what time did those couple few uh, uh, motor coaches get back into Missoula on Sunday morning? Six a.m. Really late. Okay, so they rolled in at six. So I mean, you're you're losing the day. I mean, your kids are going to be shot. They're trying to sleep on the bus. Some can't. Some can't. So I mean, you're talking forty-eight hours. I mean, that's f- at least forty-eight hours of recovery after after a, a heck of a game like that, then then a bus trip to sit all the way back to Missoula. So in my mind. You know what happened. I'm, I'm not completely shocked. I think I think how they respond, at, you know, after game now uh, will be the will be the telling sign with the, with the Grizz. Not completely shocked with with the outcome of the game. But the bottom line is they won, Coulter. They won the game. Well, they won the game, and also I think that, and you remember this too from years of coaching at Washington Grizzly Stadium as well. A lot of times when it is an objectively overmatched opponent coming in there, those guys are so juiced from playing at Washington Grizz that sometimes they play out of their minds for a couple quarters. And they probably, yeah, no question. I mean, that for 99.9% of those kids, that's absolutely the best atmosphere they're ever going to see that they'll ever play in. So you bet. I mean, they're, I mean, shoot, you, you remember we've had some, we've had some slugfests again, you know, the likes of central Washington and stuff over the years. I mean, the, Washington Grizz is always going to attract the opponent's best effort because it's, I mean, literally the best and biggest atmosphere they'll ever play in. So, uh, I'm not going to make excuses for Montana. It sounds like they probably could have played a little bit better. Uh, I didn't get to watch the game, but like I said, I think the real the real tell will be what do they look like this Saturday. Well, and when you're missing your six year starter at quarterback, and you're missing you know every running back on your roster, and Gabe Solser's out, and you know Joe Babros, the starting DN, Deary Todd, another guy that's in the DN rotation, Gavin Robertson, senior safety, they're all out. That also all contributes to it too. I also find it funny the revisionist history sometimes too. People remember that Bobby Houck went eighty and seventeen his first tenure at Montana. They remember seven Big Sky championships. They also have convinced themselves that every one of those wins was forty nine nothing. And it's like what every coach would tell you. The other side. Those guys get paid too. They got scholarships too. So sometimes you just got to give credit to the opponent as well. Absolutely. And obviously uh, Dixie did a lot of great things. So again, culture, I didn't watch the game um, or I didn't get to watch much of the game, I guess, but I, I was trying to watch it early on. Um, I, 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 I listen, they, they won the game after a tough loss and now they've got, you know, another former or defending uh, co big set champ coming in. I'm excited to see how they respond to, that game in which they probably are all saying, you know, especially today, uh, I can't remember if coach gives them Mondays off now or if they're coming in on Sundays or what they're doing, but you know, back, back to work. And um, they, they were one and all in the week last week, which is the goal. Well, let's talk briefly about this week's games then. Uh, like we mentioned, the Montana State game at Weber State. It's First of all, it's a shame these two teams haven't played the last couple of years because I think that in 2018, 2019, those would have been uh, very entertaining games. I guess they did play in 2018 when Troy was playing quarterback, but not in 2019. That would have been a fun one between two of the f- most physical teams in the league. But um, it is sort of a must win for Weber, right? Because they already have the three losses. So, uh, I mean, what's your, gr- your gr- overall takeaway of just uh, this game in Ogden on Friday? I think that it's going to be a very good game. I really do, and and I think that uh, I think that Montana State has has the better team. I really do. I think they're more. I think they're playing better right now. That being said, you and I both know that it is. I mean, seventy five, eighty percent of every weekend uh, road teams lose. I mean, it, home field advantage is a real thing, especially in football. So um, I, I expect a, a, a slugfest, which you know the last couple have been against Weber State, both at, both home and away. I mean, 17, they they rolled us bad. I mean, that was one of the ugliest, worst games I've, I've ever been a part of. Um, 
but the last couple few have been they've been they've, they've been tough games. I mean, you can just tell that you know we we started recruiting and we started coaching our guys, and those games started getting closer and closer. And we were trying to you know match such out physical their style of play because that is we, Weber's kind of been the volley on the block. I mean, they they've been the they have had some dudes. I mean, they, they've had some great defenses, some great defensive players. Um, so I, I'm expecting a, a, a battle royale this, this Friday. I really am. I think it's going to be a good game. Um, again, I think Montana State has the better team, but I just think they, you know, we already said at the start of the show, eight years is a long time. There's a reason why. It's a tough place to go play. You got to bust, you know, basically they're going to bust down what, you know, th- I guess probably uh, Thursday. Yeah, which uh, is 8 p.m. Week. kick. So that's another wrench in there because you got to take a bus and then prepare for a Friday night game. Well, that's what I'm telling you, too, on these bus trips. I don't think, I don't think the fan bases understand how hard that is on on players and coaches i mean it's uh because because just like what we were saying about the grizz it, it affects that that next 24 to 48 hours on just re- the kids of recovery from from playing those late games and sitting on a bus for eight hours it, it, it's it's not easy culture so i expect a heck of a game i really do i'm, I'm obviously going to be pulling from for our guys from bozeman but i think they're in for a war uh just the way they always have been here over the last six seven years so well, and last one then for you, Montana hosts Sac State. I know that it's a game that uh, if behind closed doors, they are very eager to win. I know that the coaching staff certainly wants to take care of business against Sac State after the way that they lost there in 2019. Dalton Steed got knocked out of that game. But there also is the crossover, too. Sac State defensive coordinator Andy Thompson played for the Grizzlies. Defensive line coach Craig Paulson was a longtime Grizz DC and, and the original number 37 at Montana. So there's some definitely familiarity from Sac State staff on Montana staff as well. So uh, it seems on one hand, Montana has a ton of motivation with Sac State coming to town just because of the way that the last time these two teams played went, but maybe Sac State has a little more insight on Montana than most opponents as well. I I would tend to agree with that. I mean, I uh, you know, a- Andy and I are very close um, as, as a guy that got to coach him, and you know, we, we, uh, we've just remained close over the years. I talked to Andy probably a few weeks ago. I want to say they're also honoring the 2001 team. Uh, That's right. Andy was on that team. And Andy was on that and gets to be a part of it. I think they're going to let him briefly come out at half or whatever. Maybe it's before the game. But, but um, yeah, I mean, it, Craig Paulson, close personal friend of, 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 of me, but of, of a lot of guys on that staff, in, in particular, you know, college best friend of, of the head coach and Bobby Hawk. So, a lot of intimate knowledge, no question. Uh, I do think that, you know, you try to have short memories in this game, but, but those guys, uh, all those players that were on the, on the team uh, a couple of years ago, losing that, that was a big loss for the Grizz, uh, you know, when you think about it. And, and so, yeah, I think, I think it'll be a great game. I, I, I have nothing but respect for what those guys at Sacramento State have done. I mean, Taylor, Coach Taylor's a good coach, and they've got them playing really good. And I don't think there's a better – I mean, other than Coach Bear, I think Andy Thompson is as fine of a defensive coordinator and has been in the Big Sky for a long time. I think he's an excellent coach, and I I, I hope, if he wants it, that he gets a chance to be a head coach at some point. So I, I think it's going to be a great game. I, I think Montana, I, I'm, I'm kind of excited to follow your stuff throughout the week and, 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 and kind of see what, what the quarterbacks – I'm sure Bobby will keep it really close to the chest on his quarterback situation. But I think that, you know, from what I know, it um, sounds like they could, they could uh, you know, absolutely use Cam Humphrey being back in that lineup from, from what I have read and heard. So not saying the other kid didn't, didn't do a, a serviceable job, but, again, the, the, this, this outfit coming in, they're, they're, they're a, a season removed from, from co-champs. They're a good outfit. they got a lot of athletes, true, true Sac State uh you know even even in sacramento state's bad years they always had athletes i mean you just can't not have a ton of athletes on that team with with the recruiting uh, base that they have right there in, in the sacramento area so i think it's going to be a great game i think coach Houck will have them ready to go and i you know i, I think that it'll be an awesome saturday and I'm, I'm excited to see how they respond from two weeks ago a tough loss to a week ago against an inferior opponent probably maybe not playing up to to what their expectation and what their standard is to seeing how they respond against a, a you know a, a very good uh, big sky outfit coming in. He's Ty Gregorak. Swings by each week here on the Big Sky Breakdown to give you all the best in uh, analysis when it comes to both the Grizzlies and the Bobcats. Coach Ty, thanks for being here, man. Hey, uh, 
Absolutely. I gotta I gotta quickly give a shout out to our to our buddy Rob Fennessy. That was a huge win. Oh, we they, have to talk about Fendon for a minute. And that's a huge win for Idaho State. They beat Davis, uh, UC Davis 27-17. And also uh uh I'm not gonna say bad loss because it's a tough place to play and, and uh, the Bengals got took care of business, but that's a tough loss for UC Davis because they were in the driver's seat squarely because they don't they already yes. won at Weber and they don't have to play Montana State or Montana. No, it's exact. I mean, it really was because now there is only one team can, that can truly control its own destiny, and that's Eastern. And it's just very, very crazy to see a UC Davis team now. And, and I get it. Pocatello is tough. That 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 barn thing is is a challenge. All the different colors in the seats. And, ugh, it's, it is not easy to go play there. But they had already <laughs> gone on the road and beaten a. a uh, an FBS school. They had already gone on the road and beaten Weber State. So I saw that score. I just was like, I had to do a double double check at my phone. That was that was an interesting one. So major props to Roger Cooper and Mike Farragher and of course Rob Fennessy. Uh, great win for those guys. No doubt. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you. Have a great week. It's football season in Montana, and that means it's hunting season, too. Keep your taste buds watering, whether you're bow hunting or tailgating, by staying stocked up on Alpine Touch. The traditional seasoning is perfect for any and all meat. The barbecue sauce, perfect for your tailgate. And the sunflower seeds, amazing, are ideal for hunting camp or your seat at the football stadium. Available at retail locations around the state or at alpinetouch.com. Alpine Touch, Montana's special spice.